Welcome to the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So if you follow collegiate athletics, one of the hot topics you will have seen recently is the, the notion of sports nutrition. Um, it's become something that many schools are focusing on. Indeed, some think it's, it's become an area of competition for schools as they're trying to recruit the best student athletes. Uh, and we thought it would be interesting to find out more about this. So we're delighted to have as our guest Randy Bird, who is the director of sports nutrition at the University of Virginia, one of my favorite places. Randy, nice to have you here with us. Nice to be here. Thank you. So I, I want to start off uh, with your evolution, if you will, through this. And I think in some ways that mirrors how the whole area has evolved fairly recently. Um, and then get to some of the details of, of what it is you do at, at UVA. So let, let's start back then with, with your development and what got you interested in this field in the first place? Okay. It's a little, little bit of a long story, so I'll, I'll <laughs> cut, out, cut out a lot. Uh, so always played sports growing up, very interested in sports in general. Uh, so when I enrolled in college at Virginia Tech, I was initially pre-med with the idea of going into orthopedics, knowing that orthopedic surgeons are the ones that seem mm -hmm. to be more heavily involved in the <laughs> athletic side. Mm -hmm. After having had 13 <laughs> operations of my own, I've become very close to my orthopedic surgeons, as a matter of fact. So that, that was my initial thought. And going through that in college, um, our pre-med advisor gave me great advice of really having a major that I would enjoy doing if I decided not to do med school or mm -hmm. if I didn't get in, uh, any other scenarios that could possibly come up. And I was a biology major with a pre-med emphasis, and biology was not something I enjoyed. <laughs> so I looked around and I found uh, human nutrition, foods, and exercise department and switched majors to that. I loved it. Mm -hmm. And after spending some time with an orthopedic surgeon to see really what the day in the life of an orthopedic surgeon is like, I decided that really wasn't what I wanted to do as a career. And I loved the nutrition and exercise component. So that's really where the interest uh, was sparked, per se. So you ended up shifting your focus then at, at Virginia Tech. And how did, how did it then proceed for you in terms of your education and training? Okay. Uh, so my undergrad, I finished up uh, undergrad in human science of food, nutrition, and exercise and enrolled straight into grad school. Uh, and with grad school, I was able to take some strength and conditioning classes taught by our director of strength and conditioning at the time who worked oversaw all of strength and conditioning at Virginia Tech and worked directly with the football team uh, and <clears throat> was able to do an emphasis in sports nutrition. So that way I could really get the best of both worlds. Because honestly, at the time, there were very, very few schools well, I, that employed I was about a to ask you that. dietitian. I, yeah. So here you have this, this program at Virginia Tech, you know, great school, great program. But I would suspect that you were I had to be a little bit concerned about, okay, well, where am I going to go after this? Because there were not a lot of schools that had a, a, a nutritionist yes. or dietitian as part of the program. So at that time, I can count four schools really? that had a full-time person, uh -huh. uh, that colleges employed a full-time person to handle nutrition. 
And that's one reason I took the strength and conditioning um, class. And then I got a certification in that, a certified specialist in strength and conditioning through the NSCA. Mm-hmm. And I honestly thought I would have to go that route and be a strength coach at a university and then develop a nutrition program from within once I got hired. Uh, And a friend of mine who was in grad school a year ahead of me uh, was hired at the University of Florida for their first uh, position. That was Michelle Rockwell. And she really pushed me to be a dietitian because my advisor uh, said I didn't really have to do that because at the time, exercise physiologists were the ones that really handled nutrition, uh, sports nutrition. Right. It was almost like a sidelight for them at the time. Right. Right. Uh, So with Michelle's feedback of, okay, schools are going to be looking for registered dietitians, uh, I applied for uh, an internship because I have to, to be a registered dietitian, you have to do a dietetic internship uh, that takes you through many rotations, clinical, food service, community nutrition, uh, exposing you to multiple aspects of being a dietitian before you can sit for that exam. So that's an, another side shoot that I had to right. go off on to be qualified to do what I do. It's interesting to me in, in, in preparing for this conversation and looking at your background and checking out some things that how much is required of you in terms of schooling and training yes. before you can basically hang up your shingle, if you would, saying I'm a dietitian. Correct. Uh, through just my undergrad, just the required classes I had to take, uh, I got a chemistry minor. Uh, there's that much science behind it, which is a huge separating fact between the term dietitian and nutritionist because there are so many states that don't have licensure around the term nutritionist. So in the state of Virginia, there is no licensed nutritionist. So that supplement store clerk can call themselves a, a nutritionist, nutritionist they and want have to. no hmm. background right. whatsoever. Right. So that, that is a big distinguishing fact where, I mean, at the University of Kansas, when I was hired, I was called sports nutritionist. Right. Uh, that was the title. Uh, at UVA, it's the director of sports nutrition, uh, but we're really pushing for people to be sports dietitians. All right. So it, it, it sounds like it's more than just a title. It Correct. suggests some much more significant training and education and, and part of your background. You, you mentioned Kansas. Yes. So, so this was an interesting sort of springboard for you. Absolutely. Uh, tell me how you got to Kansas and, and what Kansas had when you got there and then what you created while you were there. Okay. So after my dietetic internship, obviously there was not really jobs open, so I had to work I had to make some money, mm-hmm. so I went the clinical nutrition route, and I was working in a small hospital in southwest Virginia, and then I moved to a larger hospital in Pittsburgh, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in Washington Hospital. And while there, I still kept looking at, for sports nutrition jobs to open up, and Kansas opened. Uh, so I was able to apply, got an interview, was hired, and with what was present at Kansas, uh, they had kind of experimented with consultants in the past, mm-hmm. uh, and they weren't getting what they wanted. Uh, did they, the did they really routes. know what they wanted then, or were they sort of searching at the time? Well, they, they, 
athletic director uh, had come in a few years ahead of me, and he knew he wanted a dietitian. He came from the University of Connecticut, and he had great experience there with dietitians. So he knew that was one piece that Kansas was missing, and he wanted that. Uh, so they they had a hiring progression of what he wanted to put in place. They hired a director of sports medicine one year and to really oversee and revamp athletic training. And then the next step was hiring sports dietitian. The next step after that was hiring sports psychology. So it was a step progression of what he wanted to put in place. So he knew he wanted a dietitian there. Uh, I don't think anybody really knew what all could be accomplished, uh, what that dietitian could accomplish at the mm-hmm. university. Let, let's talk about that, all right? And, and I'll give you some illustrations of what I'm playing and sure. what we had, and then you tell me what they have now. Okay. So, um, I, again, as I mentioned, I'm football at Yale, late 60s, early 70s. The, the Ivies, especially Yale, Dartmouth, Princeton, Harvard, still national powers. Uh, our training table was essentially the same food that everybody else was eating, but they had it later for us because we finished practice later. Sure. Right. Um, when you talked about pregame meals for football Saturday mornings, we would have either steak and eggs. I think there was some sort of pasta choice or pancakes. <laughs> That's pretty much it. And I'm, I, I think having talked to the, my friends who were playing in the same era, that, that's what just about everybody had. When you get to Kansas, and, and it probably carries over into what you're doing at UVA also, how did you view those, those things, and what did you think you needed to do for them? Sure. Uh, a question I get a lot from when I speak to high schools, when I speak to different camps in general, the people ask, always ask about that pregame meal. And my general response is the pregame meal is not that magical. Uh, you want fuel for the game. Uh, you want protein. You want to have a balance. So you, you want to have the carbohydrates as fuel. You want to have some protein, but not too much to slow down digestion. If you overdo the protein, overdo the fat, then it's going to be sitting in the stomach too long, and they're not going to get what they need when it comes time to actual play. So the the pregame meal is more uh, providing fuel, keeping the athlete from being hungry and being distracted during the competition, but it's really just that little bit of fuel aspect is the focus. Uh, What's more important is what they're doing all the other times leading up to the game. It's that day-to-day nutrition, pre workout nutrition, make sure they're fueled going into their workouts, and then the recovery aspect, making sure they're getting what they need to recover from really the damage they've done to their body. Because that's essentially what we're doing is putting athletes through programs that will break their body down, that if they're not paying attention to what they're putting back in, they're not going to be getting uh, the results that they would like. So it's those other hours leading up to the game that are most important. Uh, what I like to tell our athletes is if you're required to do 20 hours a week with your sport, so that's 20 hours out of the week, you have 148 other hours that you can either make yourself better or get worse. And a big that's where all the results are really coming from, not, not the training, but what do you do to allow your body to respond to that training? When do you think we started to to understand uh, 
that what you are eating, what you're consuming, I'll, I'll use football as an illustration, from Sunday through Friday is an important element of your preparation for Saturday. Because again, going back to my experience, you know, the trainer would say to us, okay, make sure you all get up in time, have breakfast, make sure you grab lunch before practice, you know, and then, you know, the bustles will bring you from the field house to wherever we went to have our, our meal. That was the idea. Just make sure you're eating something. Sure. You know, when and how did we start to realize that it was more complicated than that? Well, nutrition science, when you look at science in general, uh, chemistry, biology has go back many, many, many years. Mm. Uh, nutrition science is a fairly new science. And when we look at sports nutrition, so then you look specialty of nutrition, obviously that's even newer than nutrition science. And I would say from a collegiate standpoint, uh, back when Nebraska was in its heydays, <laughs> that's mm. when a lot of emphasis was put on the food that those athletes were eating. It's interesting because Nebraska, as you know, was one of the early, the real weight training yes. programs. So, so they recognized that the food was a significant part of that early on. I would say Tom Osborne was yeah. a visionary uh, to look at the needs of his athletes and really create a well-rounded student athlete and look at the training. And yes, Boyd Epley was a huge part right. of it with the training. And then Dave Ellis was the first uh, full-time nutrition specialist, and he was at Nebraska at that same same time frame. So a lot came from that Nebraska model, per se. Uh, so so the, the, the thinking starts to change, right? You said yes. you're, you're at Kansas. You're starting to now uh, incorporate this into every element of the athletic training. It's part of the, the whole training. It's not just yes. you have to have something to eat. It's, this is an, 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 an integral element of all of that. Did, did your, and, and I'll, I'll include both now your time at UVA and time at Kansas. Did, did the student athletes understand that? Did they, did they immediately buy into that at, or did it take a while? I would say they, they bought in, especially uh, now at the University of Virginia, there's been more of an emphasis placed at the younger level. Uh, as they are, get to UVA, as they get to that age, they've already been exposed a lot. Uh, Kansas, it was starting to happen. Um, but I'd say the buy-in from those athletes at University of Kansas were great, uh, but it was still the need to break bad habits. Right. Uh, and I was going to ask you about that because there's, there's all sorts know, the, of bad the habits, habits are deeply ingrained. You know, especially you're an athlete. You're thinking, okay, you know, I I can eat. Uh, I'll have I'll have three Big Macs because I'm going to work out later and I can uh, I'll burn it off. So it's fine. And the the thing is, 18 year old can get away with it. Right. <laughs> uh, they can eat what most would call junk uh, mm -hmm. and still perform. Uh, they've trained their body on that in high school. Uh, the issue comes is training is completely different in college than high school. Uh, so what we're putting into our bodies not only just impact performance, but it impacts how your body recovers from that training. So those athletes that are actually paying attention to a good nutrition plan then are less likely to have these injuries, nagging injuries pop up uh, that athletes that are just eating whatever they want 
uh, tend to see a, a lot more it, of. It's interesting that there has been that connection yes. that, that has been proven. Yes. That what you're putting in your body can have an impact on how you heal, how quickly yeah. you heal. And I imagine that that will get the attention of, of you know, these young student athletes who are thinking, well, we're all immortal. We can eat whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. We're okay. To a degree. Uh, they, they <laughs> Which have is to your, see, your, your job. They have to see examples of somebody they know getting hurt and others that are taking care of their, their bodies. Uh, we've been able to provide some of that with our athletes when we look at uh, just hydration strategies. Uh, the ones that when we do hydration testing, we use a urinary uh, refractometer to do spot checks of hydration. I go back, Randy, I have to tell you, in the beginning of my high school career to the era of coaches saying, no, 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 we don't drink water during practice because we're going to make you tough. Literally. Right. I right. remember it, coaches wouldn't let you. And I look back at it now and I said, how were there not more fatalities? You know, much less people just getting sick from it. But that was a right. mindset. And, and now, obviously, 180 degrees, different in terms of hydration. Absolutely. And we still have problems. Um, but with the, say, hydration testing, I've been able to point to athletes and show them that here, this, this athlete, or if I'm talking to that athlete, this last season, think about how many times you were in the athletic training room because of a soft tissue injury, a hamstring pull. Uh, and let's look how many times you were quote-unquote, failing your hydration test. And then this year, that athlete's carrying a jug of water around with him, and every single time he passes with flying colors, and he has yet to have a muscle-related injury. Uh, I used an example I took from another colleague of comparing steak to beef jerky, and the difference, it's still the same meat, the difference is the water content, and how easy it is to basically tear that beef jerky compared to the steak and asking the athletes to use that mind mindset, that mental imagery of you want to have steak muscles, right. you don't want beef jerky muscles, mm -hmm. and preventing some injuries because of their hydration status. Let me ask you about supplements. Sure. Right? Because that, that's something you hear so much about and you'll hear about the value of certain supplements, you'll hear about the difficulties and, and, and indeed the problems that other supplements can create, not, not, not just legally, but in terms of what you're ingesting here. How do you look at this, and I know it's a, I use supplements, it's a pretty expansive term, sure. but, but how do you look at that issue? So I'm food, I have a food first philosophy. Mm -hmm. I want to try to get our athletes and athletes in general to get what they need from food anytime that they can um, because of the lack of regulation with some supplement companies and just the supplement industry as a whole is not that regulated. Uh, there's just not enough manpower to enforce the regulations that are in place. <clears throat> so first we go the food route and supplements, those that have been shown to work um, may improve somebody's performance by about 1%. Where if you're not taking care of that other 99%, that little 1% improvement's not going to do much for you. Uh, so first we have to address the diet and what areas they're neglecting before we even worry about supplements. And then there are athletes that just have the mindset that they have to take this supplement. They've, it's been ingrained into them that they're not going to be good unless they're taking a the supplement. So uh, when we look at athletes wanting to take supplements, 
I have to navigate, okay, one, is this supplement even effective? Does it work? Uh, is it going to do what the athlete thinks it's going to do? Is it safe? Uh, there have been links to some supplements and hepatitis. There's been outbreaks of hepatitis in California and Hawaii from some pre-workout supplements. Uh, there's been other issues, health-related issues, cardiac uh, issues with some supplements. So is it safe? Is it legal by whatever governing body they're playing under? So NCAA, is it banned on the NCAA drug testing protocol? Uh, so is it safe, effective, uh, and legal are three big things that I have to look at. Uh, so some supplements I encourage, like vitamin D. <laughs> Uh, I don't think uh, most people get enough vitamin D in their diet. It's hard to get vitamin D in your diet. Right. And then if you wear sunscreen to protect your skin from skin cancer, you're blocking the natural conversion uh, of vitamin D in your body anyways. So vitamin D is one that I push. Uh, I would love to see everybody taking probiotics. Uh, and fish oil is another category that I don't think people get enough omega-3s. So there are supplements like that that I strongly encourage. Uh, and then things like your post-workout whey protein products. Uh, it's more convenient uh, in some, some instances to have a ready-to-drink shake versus mm -hmm. sitting down to eat a meal. Uh, it could be that that athlete has just finished lifting. Now they got to get to class. They don't have time to sit down and have a meal. That shake is a way to get the nutrition in. Uh, and even depending on the workout, if it's an extremely difficult workout, it's a lot easier to drink a shake than to try to eat a chicken breast. Uh, so there are instances where supplements are extremely useful. But at the same time, there are a lot of bad ones out there too. As you know, a few years ago, the, the, the rules changed. Yes. Uh, the NCAA, through its member institutions, took a, a hard, good hard look at the notion of, uh, of, of nutrition and food for student athletes and, and w relaxed a lot of the rules, said, all right, we, we should take a different approach to this and let, again, within per certain parameters, let the colleges and universities provide this okay. nutrition. How has that helped you in your job? Sure. Uh, well, it's helped student athletes. Uh, so, as far as helping me, uh, it's help put them. more work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> more, more work for you, but yes, helpful for them. Yes, it's extremely useful to the student-athletes. Before, we'd have student-athletes that would have to be at practice early or workouts early in the morning before dining halls were open. Uh, so, the, like for us, uh, some dining halls really don't open until 7 a.m., and their workout could start at 7. So, they have to be at the workout facility, workout, sometimes it's a lift and go into practice, and they have a class right away. So with old rules, um, the only thing we could provide for them was supplements. We couldn't provide food uh, because it wasn't one of the uh, allotted times to provide a meal. So we'd have some athletes that would go through a workout and not eat anything till two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, which was a which was a problem. So now with the new rule changes, uh, we are allowed to have more food <laughs> available uh, so they can get there earlier and we can provide more of your grab-and-go snack breakfast type items. So like we, we have oatmeal cups or something they can 
uh, come in and quickly eat, uh, and they actually have some fuel <laughs> for the workout, then we can have uh, a sandwich that they can take with them uh, to go to class. So that way they're not sitting in class not having eaten, uh, and they actually have food to make themselves whole again. Because, again, they're breaking themselves down, and what we wanted as a profession, and it was something that uh, our national organization, uh, so you talk about the evolution of sports nutrition, uh, we formed a organization, Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietitians Association, back in 2010. Yeah, I was going to ask you about how many people showed up at your first meeting and how many you had at your most recent meeting. Sure. Uh, I'll get to that. Right. That's something our organization really pushed for was the provision of food, right. a way to make our athletes whole, again, is really what we were asking for. So in 2010, we had 20 dietitians in a room that voted to uh, pursue this. Let's let's do this organization, uh, and voted on five five people to really explore it and do the bylaws, all that of getting the organization set up. And now, seven years later, we have over a thousand members, uh, and the growth of the profession. A lot of it's because of this rule change uh, mm -hmm. that schools now see. Okay, we have to be providing food for athletes. Now, who's going to do that? <laughs> so we've seen a market growth of hiring of dietitians, and some of it is new, new hires at universities. Um, I just saw last week that Fresno State hired their first person. So it's not just your large schools right. that have it, but what we're seeing is the schools, once they hire one, say, okay, one's not enough. Uh, so if we're going to do this, we, we should do it. We should do it right. Correct, because I mean, Kansas, it was just me. Yeah. Uh, and 450 athletes at UVA, we have over 700 athletes, and our administration has really looked at our student athlete and trying to improve the student athlete experience mm -hmm. and take care of that student athlete. So they, we now have three full-time dietitians and two full-time sports psychologists on staff too, to mm -hmm. really kind of close the care of that yeah. student athlete. Uh, but really, schools are seeing the need for more and more. Last question for you, and it plays off of that. Um, it, it, it seems to me, and I've seen some stories about this, that this notion now of improving the nutrition and, and the nutritional experience for the student athletes, uh, it's almost become part of the recruiting process. Are, are you seeing that, where schools are, who have this are saying to their, these high school prospects, look, by the way, you come here, look at how we are, are looking to make you better and take care of you physically and emotionally and as, as part of your health and well-being? Absolutely. Um, our coaches use me uh, mm -hmm. for the recruiting process. So when recruits come on grounds, um, if it's the sports I work directly with, I'll meet with them, or if it's one of the other sports, my staff will meet with them. Um, but part of that is putting really the face with, to the recruit that, okay, here's the person that will be working with you, and we're not just saying that we have this. This is an, an important piece of our program, and then I can explain to them what all we do for the student athletes so then the parents can feel comfortable that sending sending my my child to this school okay we have somebody we know that's going to take care of them in this area and right. that's that's a big piece for the parents uh, and depends on the sport I would say it 
the high school athlete could be very interested in it right. or they they care more about some of the other bells and whistles at mm-hmm. the school. Yeah. Um, but I, it's always a big piece for the parents. Absolutely. And then, you uh, want to know that your child's going to be taken care of. Absolutely. And, and, and we realize now how important the nutrition is. Well, uh, I guess the last question is, how's, how's a Virginia Tech Hokie like you making out down at, uh, as being a Wahoo now yes. at the University of Virginia? I, Talk I, about transitions. That's right? a, at least I had the uh, Kansas buffer in that's between. That's true. And we had, to play, we had to play Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl when I was at Kansas, mm-hmm. which we beat them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but which way are we talking about? Did the we Kansas, Kansas beat Virginia Kansas, Tech or the we Virginia Tech beat yes, Kansas? Kansas beat Virginia right. Tech. It was in, the, in the we Orange at Bowl. the time. Yes. Right. Uh, so, I get that question a lot. Uh, but <laughs> now I've been I've been at University of Virginia longer now than I was at Virginia right. Tech, uh, right. and always the week that uh, UVA Virginia Tech football game happens, I get get asked, okay, who are you pulling for? <laughs> and I mean, it's it's simple because it's the athletes that I work with, the athletes right. I know, the athletes that I've been helping, I want to see perform their best. Right. Uh, That's a very diplomatic response. Yeah, it, it's, nicely. it's simple. <laughs> <laughs> Randy Bird, thank you, Randy. Again, it's it just a fascinating uh, evolution in the world of, of college sports and for student athletes. And we appreciate you taking some time talking with us. Thank you very much. Uh, you be well. That does it for us for this edition of College Sports Insider. I'm Jack Ford. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon. 